Hi guys, this is John McGann from Max Tennis Academy in Ireland and I'm here with my co-host Dan Kiernan from Soto Tennis in Spain. Together we've created the podcast Control the Coronables, which includes some of the top players from around the world. Our objective is very simple. We want to be able to educate, entertain and energize the tennis community during this very difficult period that we're all going through. Hope you enjoy our next podcast. Welcome to episode nine of Control the Coronables. Today we have Mark Hilton, ATP coach, been traveling for a lot of years now on the tour, namely working with Kyle Edmund all the way up till ATP number 14 in the world and now currently Dan Evans as coach who we also coach through the juniors and has coached him on three different occasions. A fascinating story, a great guy. Sit back, enjoy and and learn as much as you can from Mark. Enjoy the show. Yeah, um well, listen. Just for, first of all, Mark, just unbelievable to have uh, you on our on our podcast today. Control the Coronables. I think actually you're the first ATP coach for us to have on on today. And just to give the, you know, the the audience a, a little bit of a background on you. I, I know you're not just a, a coach, and you have you've had a, a brilliant playing career as well. You've been, you know, as high as top two hundred in the world ATP, and you know, one hundred and sixty in the world doubles. You're a national. British champion uh, and now you're currently working with you know top ATP players on the tour including Dan Evans, Kyle Edmund uh, and you've worked with Liam Brody as well so just from on behalf of myself um, it's an absolute privilege to have you on here with us today and just to get an insight um, of you know what you're doing and how you got to where you are today so big thanks Mark. Great to be on with you boys. And John just just before we start um, I know that Hilters are one for detail yeah, me and me and Hiltz go back a long way. I think the first time I played Hiltz, or one of the first times I played Hiltz, was probably under tens. I remember him smoking me in, indoors at Telford. He was so good on the quick courts back in the day. He likes his detail. His highest ranking was two or two. We can't give him the top two hundred. He won't. Have <laughs> Sorry, to, Mark. That doesn't sit right with you, does it, Hiltz? You know, you know, as soon as you said it, I was going to say, I was going to jump in and correct you, but because of the delay, I thought, no, let's just mess it up. So I was going to roll with it, but you are right. Mm-hmm. So, Hilton, play, man. To, to, start, to start, tell us a little bit about how, I suppose, your tennis journey started, really. Um, well, I started playing tennis um, because of my dad used to play. I mean, he was a sort of county-level player. Um, I grew up with a brother and sister. We all started at the same time. I was the youngest, so I guess I, I had the benefit of, of, of starting and therefore um, getting ahead of the curve in some ways. I, was, I wasn't an early, early starter. I was probably around seven years old. I grew up, grew up playing with my dad and then lucky to have an experienced coach out of Wrexham, um, John Hicks, who we all know very well, um, who, was, who was fantastic for my development as a as a very young junior, they through to 16 before leaving to um, leaving school at 16 and going full time in Nottingham with with Leighton Alfred, who 
who I spent the majority of my career with alongside Colin Beecher. Um, I, I really didn't go between too many coaches. It was, it was literally a couple of coaches and, I, and it was coaches. This is how, I, how highly I regard John Hicks was, was when I left school at 16, he, there was no choice. It was like, you are going to this coach. He's going to be the best for you. You're going to, you if you want to play full-time tennis, the man to go to and, and then the respect in my, that I had and my, my parents had for John, it was like, okay, this is what I do. And um, left home at 16 to, to go full-time there. And I think both of those, it's obviously we, we grew up playing together and I always, I was fortunate enough as well with John Willis to have a strong relationship with my coach. And I think it's something that maybe back in our day that we had, but you certainly, with, with Hicksy and with Leighton, two very strong characters, you know, and, and how much do they have they influenced? I guess your life, not just your tennis, but then then going into what you're doing now as well. Yeah, without without a doubt, um, I've taken so much from both of them, and they they both had had amazing qualities in terms of um, discipline and motivation and wanting to compete and and leaving things no stone unturned. And I would say that's reflective in the way I operate, not just in my profession, but day-to-day life, uh, you know, the lessons you take from, from a young age don't necessarily click either when you're, when you're young, but as you get older, you take those experiences and you often feel yourself going back to those values, um, not just on the tennis court, but, but in my day-to-day life, yeah. And how do you think that, how do you think back in that day, I mean, you're not, obviously not talking about you as if you're, you're that old, but 39 years old, or coming up to 39 years old, what, how, how's that, the junior environment back in your day compared, do you think, to the junior environment playing now? Uh, good question. Um, I, 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 I never felt as a junior um, the, the intensity that maybe some juniors feel now. Um, uh, you know, I, I've been fortunate in my coaching to, to work with some, some top juniors. You mentioned Liam, but also young junior George Morgan and, and Luke Bambridge. And, and you always felt that there was so much riding on yeah. success at, at a young age. And I, when I reflect on my own, my own career, I didn't feel that in juniors. But when I came out of juniors, I did have a feeling, whether it was um, outside or, or the way talked about say 15 years ago that if you weren't successful very quickly that was that was the end of your journey um, it was always a feeling like if you hadn't made it by your early 20s you you know you weren't going to make it um, and I, I feel now just looking back um, I wish that I had had different perspective on, on my career because there's been success with older players now and who have stayed in the game, persevered, either to be on the singles court or the doubles court and, and, having, and having long careers. And I really sensed that when I was early 20s, um, late teens, that that was the case. Yeah, I think on that hilt, I remember under 14s, um, having, having a 1994 was my year, didn't get, never got any better than 1994. And, you know, we won, won tabs. I remember losing the quarterfinals of Orange Bowl to Fernando Gonzalez, coming home the day before Christmas and still getting slapped around by my brothers 
and like it was it was like I don't ever remember at that time thinking I was any good and and there was there was nowhere there might have been the odd newspaper article that, that went out but it was social media has I think so much to play on that you know if I if I think somebody making quarterfinals of tarbs or um, winning tarbs quarterfinals of Orange Bowl this this sort of success as a junior now almost every Twitter feed every Instagram feed every every social media feed that there is it's been shouted about and for a 13 14 year old it must be very difficult to keep your feet on the ground with that um, you know how would it? I suppose if if you were, if I was to say you're now coaching, um, I know there's a girl that's just done very well. She won she won team tennis, and you know is obviously quite an exciting. If you how how would you as a coach keep keep her feet on the ground? Well, I think it starts with educating not just the player but the person she spends the most time with. And there's a lot of juniors. You often go home to your your family every night and you spend the most amount of hours around different people and so it's it's an education process making sure that they're aware of the length of the journey and and going through the process um, not many players can break through quickly and when they do they're sort of like the noms of the game but um most of the time it's a long journey with with lots of options professional tennis isn't necessarily the only option you can have a fantastic career whether it's education or coaching or or, or loads, loads of different ways. And I think educating not only the players, but the, the people they're around from an early age, making that, raising their awareness of, of that will help keep, the, keep those feet on the ground and, and not get ahead of themselves and, and raise too many unrealistic expectations. And on that as well, Hills, you, again, looking back, obviously at the time, all of us, we went off to Bisham Abbey, which was the National Tennis School at the time. And you were very much, that was very much an option for you as, as one of the best players in the country. Do you think the fact that you stayed home for a bit longer maybe helped you keep your feet on the ground as well? Well, I, I, environment which, which kind of demanded that anyway. I, you know, we talked about my first coach and he, he was very much um, of, the, of the feeling that you, you keep your head down, you do the work. And you build unbelievable discipline, fantastic motivator, and and it was a case of a, it was sticking to a process, but the process was so simple with him. It yeah. was you do this, and you will get success. And, w- and with him, it wasn't necessarily success on the tennis court. It was, it was values. Yeah. It was values. I think staying at home and having being fortunate enough to have that sort of person around me from such a young age, um, and then following on from that, my next coach with Leighton it really gave me that sort of instilled those those beliefs and values that I carry to this day and how many running squats did you do <laughs> no well I never wore dinner I learned my lesson pretty early on that and uh and and again you know Dan you you have been familiar with him and as we've moved on and he was he was you know as, as I said you sometimes only really learn and value what these people do as you get older at the time it's it's tough, and and you and you don't you don't realise what they're doing for you, and and you know it's just a full in the court as well. As you get older, you realise those values, and they stick with you. Yeah, I mean, I remember Hicksy. I remember playing you in a in the final of a British Tour event in Billsley. A lot of my stories with you, Hill. So when you've kicked my backside in the final, or you've kicked my backside somewhere, and 
um, you, you, you did me good, you know, like a three and two or something. And I walked off the court and Hicks said, Dan, Dan, over you come. And I wasn't really in the mood to speak to anybody. Never, never mind the lad who's just kicked my backside's coach. And he, and he sat down and he sat down with Hiltz and he said, tell him how good he is. Go on, Dan. Tell him, tell him how good. I mean, that was good. That was a, that was a proper performance, Dan, wasn't it? Tell, tell, him, tell him how good he is. And, uh, and I was, no, that was Leighton. Sorry, that was Leighton, not Hitsy. That, yeah, yeah. that was Leighton Alfred. And I was like, is he being serious? He's, he's, he's just, taking, just taking the extra 400 quid home, you know, in front of my potential father-in-law and mother-in-law that came to watch the match. And now he's asking me to big him up. But I, from again, a little bit from a side, I know I was pretty heavily involved as juniors growing up with you. It, it was always, I was definitely, envious is the wrong word because I was certainly happy with the coaches I had. But there was definitely, I think there was an aura around, around yourself and, and Hixie and also yourself and Leighton. And I think, I think those two coaches did that very well. And obviously they wouldn't have been as dedicated to you if they didn't see the, your, your ability, but also not just your ability, your attitude. So you deserve a lot of credit for that. But, but I certainly think they and you did a very good job of building Laura <clears throat> growing up with that, for sure. Well, I, I would say, you know, I have more vivid memories of my time with Leighton as it's more, more recent. And Leighton and Hickley held a lot of the same beliefs and values and you know, you relaying that story. I remember that. And I think when I look back, I think he he's talking to you. He's really trying to instill belief in me. And and um, this is a British tour event. You know, it, we probably played that event in a build-up to some bigger events. So in the back of their minds, I always felt they had an agenda of how they did things. And, and, and don't get me wrong, Leighton could be extremely tough. And, and he was very honest with feedback. And never felt that, I always felt he was truly honest with me in where I was, what I was putting in. He was, I could have good performances and win matches and he'd be pretty critical of me. I always felt he struck that balance really well. And, yep. you know, some people say to me now, oh, the way I operate in certain respects reminds, you know, it's like Leighton was. And when, when, when people first started saying that, I was a bit like, I wasn't sure whether to take it as a, whether they were being critical of me because I wasn't sharing being my own person um, but as I've got older I've come to as know these these qualities and these traits that have, have been instilled in me I will I will continue to do and I've been able to believe in, in in those things that I learned when I was younger Mark I, I remember watching you a lot at, at events um, you like like you're saying there you did an like incredible pro when you'd be at these tournaments so disciplined in in your um, in approach to in a match and um, just to give people an idea of the type of training, because you're obviously in very, very good good shape when you were playing as well. Still, still keeping it in good nick, I guess as well. But um, what would be what would a typical week for you had looked like when you were growing up? So, like you know, the amount of days of training you do on court, the you know the physical element of it. Were you training in groups? Um, yeah. Um, when I was when I was growing up, my, my, my young years, so say from 11, 12 years old through to being where I left home, I didn't play a lot, um, not many hours. I, I would probably have three one-hour individuals a week um, and on top of that, maybe two squad sessions um, or with, with Don Hicks sort of leading 
I remember having a county or regional training maybe once every couple of weeks. Um, but it, it wasn't, uh, I wasn't overloaded with tennis. In fact, I played a lot of other sports, I played a lot of football. Um, again, sisters who have always been active. Uh, but it, it, it definitely wasn't a, uh, some of the programs you see nowadays where it, even at a very young age, it is, it is massive volume of, of tennis for those players, which maybe things moved on to a, to a stage where there is a, a more of a demand for that and more, it's, it's more up for that, shall we say, but it, it, never, it, never, it never occurred to me at the time that I wasn't doing enough. And when I, when I went to play full-time tennis at 16, I welcomed playing more. I was hungry to play more because I, I maybe I hadn't been overloaded as a young, a young player. So having that step up as a, as a young pro w was, was fantastic because I was, I was hungry to play. And my, there's no doubt from 16 onwards, the volume went up, obviously. I'm a full-time tennis player, no education. Um, but it was never, I can, I can never think of it as a, as a grind. Never think, oh, I'm not looking forward to this. You know, you, people often say, and, I, and I, it's kind to hear that I was a great pro and I worked very hard. I, I look back at my, my playing days now and, and with experience of where I got a few things wrong and, um, and maybe where it came across that I was unbelievably professional. But when I look back now and really reflect on, on, on how I was, there was things I could have done a lot better. Um, I was, I was never a great traveller as I got older. Um, I, I wish I'd preferred, I'd enjoyed the international travel more. I was always thankful when there was domestic tournaments. And it's, it's, it's a bit, it's gone a little bit full circle now because I, I, I travel more now as a, as, a, as a coach than I ever did as a player. Um, and I've learned to, uh, to actually really enjoy being on the road now. But I think it's, I look back and think why, and I, I think it's more because I'm responsible for other people and not myself. You know, I'm, I'm, my job is to, to help someone else. And I, when you're on your own, as you'll both know, when you've traveled as players, it's difficult, you know, you, to, mm -hmm. to keep going, to keep motivating yourself day in, day out, especially when you don't have the luxury of always traveling with a coach. So to me being the shoes where I'm now supporting other players on the road, I, I don't find it a problem at all. Wow. I think that's, really, that's amazing. Yeah, and it's such interesting insight, Hilt. I think that was, and, and being again close to you, I know that one of the reasons that you were, you were looking to stop playing was the travelling. You know, and like you say, it's mm. kind of ironic that, that, you have, that you have done a full, full circle on that. Did you, when you stopped playing, moving into your coaching, was there ever a time that you thought, actually, I just want to be a coach that's, a, that's home a bit more? And is that something that you tried? So, so when I stopped, um, uh, again, I had, I, I would say I had a pretty good reputation as a, as a, as a pro and um, to the level I got to, shall we say. And I was immediately offered uh, a job at the LTA from David Felgate, who at that point was head of men's tennis. Not, it was more of an internship. He, he wanted to me to experience a few different areas of tennis. So, I remember I spent a couple of months down at, at Queens where. The national program was was based out of. Then he put me in Bath Academy um, to work under um, the, pro, the the junior academy there, which was Simon Jones and Ian. Um, and then I spent three months at, um, at Loughborough Academy under Leighton and Mark Taylor. So I was really thankful, looking back at that opportunity to have a look around, 
to yeah. sort of be thrust into a into a, in a into a specific coaching job immediately. Um, I, I I wouldn't say I was desperate to coach. It was more of a natural progression, and and if I'm being brutally honest, a way where I could earn some money, I could gain some um, some some routine to my life where I wasn't living out of a suitcase week in week out. Um, but I will I. I didn't have a huge desire to, to coach. It was it was very much a financial and um, easy process for me to do. And as I became a, a bit more established, shall we say, through the years, I've sort of grown to love it. Now, I did spend six months, um, about three years into my coaching, where I stepped away from coaching because I wanted to experience something a bit different. Um, I wanted to experience life away from the tennis court, and I did. I spent six months away. Um, in 2000, uh, end of 2009, uh, before getting back in and, and working with um, those young juniors that you mentioned earlier on, Luke Bambridge, Liam Brown. Um, but it was, a, it was a real interesting journey to reflect on it because I've been very fortunate. And I think back in 15 years, I've coached 15 years, which I find really amazing, uh, way longer than I played professional tennis. And I've only worked with five players. You know, I can. I, I, I started my journey with Dan Evans. I then went with George Morgan, Luke Bambridge, Liam Brody, and Kyle Edmund. And now I'm obviously back with Dan again. And it's not that many players to have worked with, but um, I've been fortunate enough to work with some top players over the course of those 15. And Sean, and Sean, incredible loyalty as well, Hilton. I think. Yeah. You know, I know. I remember. I remember Evo saying uh, a couple of years ago there was there was like a twelve eighteen month period where you hadn't you hadn't missed one of his tennis matches. You know, and that and, and, and on that on that point, what goes into being a, a coach who's on the road? I mean, and how many? I guess give us give us some numbers. How many weeks a year are you on the road? You know, what is the dedication towards the player? Um, and what really does it take to be an on-the-road coach like yourself? Um, I probably travel about 30 to 35 weeks a year. Yeah. Now, um, in, in my role with, with when I'm not, when we're not on the road, we're fortunate that I can come home and we can train out the Midlands without that being Nottingham or, or Birmingham and a split between the two. Uh, before, before Dan, I was obviously spent two and a half years with Kyle. Um, what was a bit of a challenge there was when our training weeks, when we did have training weeks, they weren't anywhere near my home. They were either in London or he lived overseas in the Bahamas. So we spent some time over there and over in the States. So it was very much a full-on travelling job. Uh, and, and, you know, with two, two young boys and a wife at home, it's quite difficult, that, for sure. There's, and I, it's something you, you develop routines with and it becomes a little bit of the norm. But... There's, there's no doubt that the enjoyment of the job and commitment to the job to be able to spend some weeks at home now, it's, it, you become better at your job, there's no doubt, because you, you, the reality is that family will come first. Um, it doesn't always feel that way because the amount of, time you spend, the amount of time you spend on the road, but when you're completely committed to to a, a process with a player or you've got specific goals that you want to reach and you're still a bit, you know, a bit younger and, and, and ambitious, 
you just you, you go full in, you, you you jump in and you go for it. Now, it, it, there's no there's no doubt. There's been times um, in all my journeys where you question and you and it's difficult and it's but you also you have some fantastic eyes as well. And it doesn't matter if it's that's at the table on the ATP tour or whether I was with Liam and Luke and George at junior events. You know, you still experience those highs and 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 from being a player, a younger player, and being a real competitor at heart, you, you, you crave that, and you, you thrive in that environment. I think that's what keeps bringing you back to, to committing to spending that much time on the road and doing the job full on. Mark, how, how did those highs for you compare from coaching to when you were playing? It's a, it's a good question. Um, I, I, I kind of forget a little bit the highs of of when I played, it, it seems ridiculous, but I don't. When I when I look back at my short career, I guess I don't really re recall the feelings of 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 disappointment. A disappointment probably sticks with me a bit more than than, than some of the good moments. Um, I can say that there's no no doubt in my mind that some of the experiences I've had as a coach, I would say, have outweighed. Um, the experiences I player, and I think it's not just because you feel like you see your work coming together, but to to sort of see someone your your work come through somebody else, um, into a certain degree, um, on on a big stage or whatever stage that may be, you get a lot of satisfaction out of that. Uh, I the the one the one thing I would say we all have is tennis coaches is. You never have an end product. There's always the next day. There's always the next thing to work on. There's always the next goal. There's always the next tournament, um, and that that is a positive as well as a negative because you can have tough weeks where you lose most weeks, and you have an opportunity the next week. But at the same time, you 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 can you never come to an end of a project and say that's finished. It's never finished. It's always, and I think that's a bit of a. It's just it's the reality of professional sport and top sport. Um, and that was why I stepped out of the game for a very short time to try and experience something where I could look at something tangible and say, oh, I've done that and it's over. Um, but I guess competition, just the way, I'm, the way I'm built and the way I'm, I operate kind of just drags me back in. And Hilt, a couple of things again, I recall, I recall you saying to me because I know that you, you did try your hands at a more at home, at home type job you know, as a talent performance manager or, you know, one of, one of those positions. And I know you didn't last long. And, and I remember saying to you what happened and you said, and, and what your words were, there wasn't enough accountability for you day to day. You know, you missed that accountability and that buzz and that competition that you get, which is what you're explaining now. And I think that's how you're built, you know, yeah. Anyone that's ever played Hilted anything, including a quiz on a Sunday night during lockdown, knows that there's, there's a little there's a little bite in there, um, you know. So 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 we all so we all see that. What would be your top three experiences as a coach or as a player that you remember from your tennis time? I remember being. Oh, I was fortunate when you you, you said something about Dan a short time ago. Um, about not missing one of his matches for a couple of years. The, the, the only match I wasn't around with Dan. Now I've had three spells with him, just 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 so as a junior, I was a couple of years when he was 16, then um, spell from 2015 through to 2017 when he, when he got banned. 
Um, and then in, in that spell from 2015, 2017, the only matches I missed were Davis Cup ties. I took it as an opportunity to spend a bit of time with Laura and family yep. um, and leave them to it for a week. Um, at the end of last year, I, I went, um, not in a work capacity, but went to Madrid to watch the Davis Cup finals. Um, and the experience, feeling of watching Dan come through his matching against um, Struff um, when he'd been, he'd suffered a couple of defeats leading into that match was like like all players go through, you know, questioning his, himself, lost a little bit of confidence, not coming through, doubting himself, um, seeing the character that he, he showed in that match to come through the way he did and the manner he did against a top, top player. Um, I remember sitting there after the match and, it, and in that one moment, it, I, it honestly felt like one of the best, best moments I've ever witnessed on a tennis court. And um, there's no doubt throughout my uh, time as a coach, I, I think it would be unfair to use to use Dan because they're so recent. My memories with him, um, even even recently in ATP Cup at the start of the year, it was phenomenal. Some of the performances he put on there and being so close to it, a bit like the Davis Cup with the ATP Cup, a bit different. Sitting on the court, sitting with Tim Hatman, who's who's an idol of mine growing up, and then talking to him about. You know, in the heat of the moment with Dan's performances, playing against Dimonor, playing against Goffman, having that interaction, and then, and then seeing him perform the way he did there, one hundred percent is one of my highlights. Um, but then I've had, I've been fortunate to have a lot of highlights with, with Kyle. He he did phenomenally well over a couple of years, um, and I back to Liam and the success he had as a junior, whether that be in the junior slams. Um, and the, one of the matches that sticks for me with Liam is is the match he turned around at Wimbledon um, against... Uh, um, uh, no, in the, in the seniors, he played the Aussie. Kubler? Um, no, it was in... Uh, oh, oh, my gosh, how have I forgot his name? Not, I was going to say Matusevic, it's not Matusevic. Uh, Marinko. 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 Okay. So um, when he played Marinko, he's two, he's two sets down in that match. He, and, and, he, and he goes into Wimbledon not with much form, but finds a way through. Again, the, the, these are matches you look at and, and you really, the memories that I, I get are from the character yeah. that I'm seeing on the court. And the performance often follows, but it's more the emotion that these players are going through that, that gets what really sticks with you rather than the actual tennis yep. yeah uh, that's what I find most um, most addictive shall we say in in in, in performance tennis and Mark, and Mark just just while you're on that like um, what what would you think are the are the are the key qualities for you know a top coach like yourself being on the tour obviously you need a lot of you know a lot of discipline you need to be selfless like you are you're constantly on the road with these guys what would you say are the, are, are, the, are the key qualities that are required? Well, I think knowing the player is, is the, the number one for me. You know, you, you are, or say knowing the player, that's the wrong, that's the wrong term. Knowing the person is, is the right thing to say because you spend so much time with these guys, whether it be away from the court, on the court, you, you're in each other's pocket pretty much every day, every day. It can be for weeks on end. So, you've really got to find that balance um, with no, 
when to push, knowing when to step back. Um, and it's a, it's a balance which I've probably learned through, through trial and error, really, because I look back at my younger coaching days where you, you kind of go into it, you know you're working with a good junior or top player and you kind of think, I job, I'll know, I know how to handle the situation. I, um, and in hindsight, I would have loved a bit more support as a young coach when I was with, say, Liam as a top junior or, or ever when he be someone who could almost mentor me way uh, through those times where you really got to understand the person to get the most out of them. Um, not necessarily what you're doing on the court, but how you're handling them in preparation, how you're handling a, pers a certain personality. And I reflect on my young coaching now and really wish that I had that support, especially when working with some players in, um, who had success, not only domestic, but internationally. Um, I feel like you may have accelerated that, that development if I'd had that. And, and having now coached for a little longer, and I would say one of my strengths, given the personalities I've worked with, is, is, is adapting to the player. I've, I've worked with polar opposites in the way, in the way these guys operate on a day-to-day -day basis, but understanding how they operate and what works for them and when to push, as I said, or when to pull back is, is such an important part when you're travelling on the road for so many weeks with them. Very good. And, and Hill, just to bring Evel back into the conversation quickly, because... It's how old is Evel now? Twenty eight. He's twenty nine. Yeah, twenty nine. So thirteen years you've been involved with Evel, you know, on all right in three different periods, you know, on off. Um, last summer actually, when you were in Soda Grande, there was a newspaper article came out, and and Evel basically put a job description for you, um, whilst you were still working with Kyle in the newspaper. He basically described Mark Hilton. Who's your next coach going to be, Dan? Well, he needs to be a really good player. I need to get on really well with him. He needs to someone someone who I can play with in the Midlands, you know, be coaching. It, it, it's obvious, you know, there's kind of been a magnet between, certainly, and that comes from the great job you've done. You know, I would imagine Dan would say no one's quite filled that void that you've always left. Why has that worked so well, that relationship? Uh, well, we have a lot of... Like you said, um, even when I was playing in my latter stages of my career, I was based out of Loughborough Academy with Leighton and, and Eva was there as a 13, 14 year old. Yep. So I was doing sets with him then. Um, granted, it was more, he was anchoring one corner with another player and I was getting the most out of two juniors and giving back again in a certain way to the support I was getting from Leighton. So we go back an awful long way. Um, I think we share a lot of the same values of how much we like to compete. Um, and we get on, we get on very well in in other areas away from tennis. I, I I would say we've reached a very good connection in in understanding how each other each other operate. Um, I, it, it's not like we spend amazing amount of time socially together. We we love to play golf. We love to do all the sporting events together. We need to, we we love that. But we have a bit of a difference as well. Um, and I think that's our relationship, whether it be professionally or, or away from the court. And it's a, it's a fine balance because you need to be close. You, you, need to, you need to get their trust. You need to then believe in what you're saying. You need to have open discussions and be given, given the fact of that age right now, 29 years old, 
the way I coach him now is so different to the way I would have obviously coached him when he was younger or when he was younger because it becomes way more of a of a player led um you know he, he he knows I'm not going to tell him anything he doesn't really already know I can I can almost re-emphasize messages that we we've discussed I can make him maybe improve his clarity on certain things um bring him back to the now, be, make him aware of what he's unbelievably well when maybe he's not quite seeing it. Um, it's, a, it's a very different way of coaching than, I, you know, you asked me a question about a, a young junior at the very start here about, it's that, that's a completely different job. And, and, it's, and, it's, and it's a job that I, 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 would, I, I love doing with Dan. Um, and if the opportunity is there for, um, for us to continue, continue working together in this capacity for as long as he's playing, then I think we'd make it work. But like anything in sport, things change, people change. And um, it, was, it was the experiences that I've, I've had with other coaching jobs that have maybe made, made me a better than now, you know, learning from my experiences with Kyle, learning from my experiences with Liam, which was a massive learning curve when I look back at my my time as you know, five years with Liam and, and going through going through so many so many things on and off the court with him um, has made me the coach I am today and understanding the player I, it always comes back to understanding the person um, uh, and having the most influence on them in that sense very good because I think yeah what, yeah what I get at the academy we'll have young coaches will come in and they'll walk on court with a player who might be 400, 500 ITF juniors. So we're not talking about the, the level of player you're working with. And the amount of times they've said, how do we improve them? They're so good. <laughs> but you take that into an even more micro level of, of working with players. You know, Kyle was, I believe, a top 10 or top 15 player in the world, maybe. Yeah. What was Kyle's highest? 14. Yeah. 14 in the world. Yeah. And now Evo's now 28 in the world. Mm. Can you just share with the listeners... How do you take a player from 40 in the world to 25? And how do you take a player from 25 to 15? And then obviously the next challenge for you is then how you take a player then from 15 into, into the top 10 in the world. You know, what are, the, what are those kind of micro bits that, that's at the very top, top level of our sport? Well, again, understanding what, what the person, the player's desires are. Is, is, is really key to that. That was one of my things when I started back with Dan. Dan, Dan was already a top 50 player and I started working with him in, um, in October last year. Um, and he was having great success. He was doing really well. He's, he's competing consistently. He's winning at the highest level. And then it's, okay, what's the next step you, Dan? And, and the next step when we discussed it was, can you be seeded in Can you be seeded in Okay, yeah. if you're going to be seated in slam, what do we need to do? And that, that, there's lots of things that come along with that. It's scheduling, it's elements of your game. Can you, can you make a small difference in your game, which is going to make a huge difference in, in other areas? And as Dan does things on a tennis court unbelievably well, but you can really improve his clarity in what he does well, understanding that um, his game so well which he does already but knowing that in the biggest moments how can you you know apply pressure to an opponent which yep. is ultimately going to put them in a position where they have to beat you 
they have to be and and i think you get to that the highest level you can win a lot of matches at lower levels by being tough to beat beating well hanging in other people losing their head you know there's so many ways to win a match when you when you are i think at a slightly lower level as you get higher i think it becomes more about you and doing what you do so well and how can you find a way in the biggest moments to do what you do at your best and some days you can do you you can play execute your game plan as well as you can and these guys are so good that they'll beat you anyway and you walk away from the court and well but a lot of the time I, I, if you can execute your game style like dan can play where he plays slightly differently than most players it puts huge pressure on players to make passing shots it makes huge pressure on players to compete the way dan competes he really has a skill of of knowing when to exert pressure away from a point so he'll make someone hear him down the other end of the court he'll look up he'll give he will make them aware of his presence he has that unbelievable skill that which others do as well but i think he's such a competitor he really gets the game and he knows when to push that button and when to step back and it's been a challenge for him to get to that because i've seen him in recent times not get that balance quite right get a bit too um excited get a bit too emotional and then trying to find a balance where he's not as excited and then go a bit too calm and you know these are the conversations you have with these players to make that little difference which can make a huge impact in in getting to third round fourth round of master series slams because this is where the, the even though it's only a one more round, it's huge difference in points. It's huge difference in prize money. It's it's massive difference, and um, and then the belief comes. You know, you know he's he's been he's had very recently some some top wins against top twenty players, which again is a is a big improvement from where he was. I mean, he was always doing exceptionally well, but he's I think I heard someone say he's had five top twenty wins in the last four months. Now he wasn't doing that, but it's not like he's suddenly a much better tennis player. He's finding ways to impact the match and sometimes getting a bit lucky, sometimes just hanging around long enough, competing hard enough to get over the line. Only recently he had a fantastic week in Dubai. Um, but I, I will say, hand on heart, he, he didn't play his best tennis in, in two of the three matches he won. He, he didn't play his best against Fognini. He didn't play tennis against uh, Hubert. He played it very well against Rublev. But he found his form because he found his way through matches, not playing his best tennis, competing well, and at the right moments, knowing that he's applying pressure the way he plays his best tennis. One question about you, you as a coach, how would you find working with a foreign player? You've spent all your coaching career working with British players. Mm. Do you think that would be more challenging? For, for for work-life balance, yeah, 100%. Um, I, 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 you know, I get back to the fact that I've got uh, a wife and two young boys who, who as, I, as, I, as they grow up, I want to spend more time with um, to a certain degree. You know, I, I've, I've committed so much to life on the road and, and I feel it's a bit selfish in a way to, to continue to do that year on year. I, I want to be around to see my boys grow up. I want to be uh, spending more time with them, seeing do things in sport or whatever they choose and working with an international player I would never dis, you know, dismiss and I would always look at the opportunity um, if it presented itself after my time with Dan but I would find it harder um, I think that I, I, and I have given it some thought what what my 
career potentially would look like um, in the next 10 years, 20 years? Do I see myself being a tour coach for the rest of my career? I don't. Um, I would see other changes which I would like to try, whether that be um, running a programme like yourself, um, whether it be being taking a more managerial role in, in tennis in, in some capacity. Uh, I think it will always come back, you know, wanting to be in, a, in, an, in an environment where I'm very close to, to competition. Yeah. Uh, and whatever sort of coaching you do, whether it's socially or whether it's performance-based, performance space is all I've ever known and I know myself reasonably well now and that I think the performance route is where I want to start being on court or in a, in a very close to that in a managerial capacity. Very good. Hiltz we're gonna we're gonna wrap it up in with a with a few a few quick fire questions to finish. Um, again me and John I'm sure would love to listen to you for hours but we're we're very conscious of your time. But the one kind of, I suppose, a bit of a fun question before I move into the quick fire. As a coach, who's who's been the toughest opponent on the ATP tour, and why? Well, uh, I've been in a fortunate position now where the with Kyle, they've both they've both come across um, Federer, Nadal, and Djokovic. Yeah. Um, in fact, Kyle played Andy as well um, at eSports. Andy was wasn't wasn't the player he was because he was coming back from from injury. So I won't I wouldn't count that. And Washington, could um, they play twice? Maybe? That's true, Washington. Um, I mean, I mean, the, the toughest opponent. It's difficult to, to distinguish against against those top guys. But I, what I would say most recently, uh, when Dan played um, Sissipas in Dubai, uh, I was. I was unreal impressed with him. Um, he, he, he was phenomenal that day. And uh, the, the level that he played at, the, the intensity that he played at, the relentlessness, you know, he, he, he's no doubt going to be dominating the, the sport for, for years to come. And, um, you know, I remember a few years ago as well, when I was coaching Dan in my second spell, yeah, how he played a challenger event in, in Canada. And... Um, played of, and that would have been in 2016. So we're talking like four years ago. Now I just saw that Shapovalov just turned 21, so he would have been like 16, 17 years old. And I and I remember having the conversation with Dan saying, "You want to be playing your kid now because you do not want to be seeing him in a few years' time." And he he has been on his trajectory again, like those young boys, where they're going to be at the top of the game for a long time. So one more fun question along that line, because we've got your wisdom on the tour to, to, answer, to answer these questions. I've got to do it. You're not allowed to answer Dan or Kyle because it makes them exempt. And, and if they ever do listen to this, we don't want them feeling uh, getting upset if you don't if you don't say Dan or Kyle. Who's the next? Who's the next Grand Slam winner outside of the big boys from the young guns? Um, I'll I'll go with Sissipas. I'll go with Sissipas. I mean, I mean, Rublev again is is at as an amazing start to the year. Um, there's, there's there's a dozen guys now coming up, but Sissipas really 
really stands out for me. But last summer, I would have probably said Medvedev, you know. But the, the reality is that these guys are in waves, and it could be any one of those boys, but I'll, I'll go with Sissipas. Great. Quick fire round. Quick fire round. Serve or return? Return. Coaching allowed during a match or not? Allowed. We'll do another podcast on that. <laughs> Australian or US Open? Australia. Singles or doubles? Singles. City or United? <laughs> United. Instagram yeah. or Facebook? Instagram. Player or coach? Coach. Indoors or outdoors? Outdoors. Cardio or weights? Oh, cardio. All day. Loves it. Davis Cup or ATP Cup? <sighs> ATP Cup. ATP Cup. Very good. Um, I'm not going to mention... Your, ask for your opinion online about Newcastle's next owners. Um, mm. Actually, Newcastle United being the richest club in the world. We'll save that for another time as well, Hilt. Um, <laughs> but top man, great to catch up with you. Great to talk. Great to. So thank you very much. Good fun, boys. Thanks a million, Mark. Legend. Good fun. Cheers, mate. Cheers, boys. So, I big thank you to Mark for that loved it a, a, a good friend of mine who we, we first played each other when we were about 10 years old and very proud of what he's achieved in his in his career and is continuing continuing to achieve so hope you guys enjoyed it please keep keep sharing liking let's get this podcast out there we've got lot, lots more exciting guests to come hope everyone's well stay safe and we'll be back soon.